As we gather this morning, we are entering into something that uh, we have not officially done on a Sunday morning, and it is a time that we are going to cry out to God for healing, for emotional, spiritual, yes, even physical healing. We're going to spend some time in prayer to God that he might do what we can't do. And there's been much preparation in prayer and a lot of bathing this time in just thoughtfulness in regards to asking God to move in our midst. We're in a series entitled Alive. And God has promised that for anyone, anyone at all, who calls upon his name and trusts in him, they are forgiven of sins and that they are what's called, they die to sin and they're made alive to God. And that's something that he does internally. His spirit comes and lives within. He changes a hard heart. He gives desires where desires were not. But then he also calls that person who's been changed, he calls them. He calls them to give all of themselves in order that they might experience in this life fullness. That they might experience and taste that aliveness in the here and now. And so, there's some things that we want to understand as we gather, and that is that for God's people, he promises to move as they gather. So we have some expectations as we come here. So if I'm at a swimming pool, and all I know is it's a swimming pool, I don't touch it at all, I'm blindfolded, and I'm taken to the edge, and I'm told to jump. Well, when I land, let's say the water is 65 degrees, you're going to hear me squeal like a little girl because that's going to be really, really cold. Same body of water, I jump in, let's say it's 85 degrees. It's almost like jumping into a bathtub, maybe 90 Let's say you're at the edge of a lake in Minnesota in the month of, let's give it November because once you get to January, it's frozen over. You stand at the edge of that lake and you jump in, you could experience even more intense cold. Let's say you're standing at the edge of a jacuzzi and you jump in, you'll experience something totally different. What's common to every single one of these jumps? You're guaranteed to get wet. There's something that God promises. He doesn't tell us exactly how. It's nothing we can script or contrive. It takes a leap of faith to take him at his word, but there's one thing that we can bank on. And that it is when his people gather, he will move. And he will use his people to show off his glory and to work for their good. 
The beauty where my illustrations fall short is that you can get hypothermia if you're in Minnesota. The water can get too hot if you're in certain jacuzzis. God promises to always only do goodness and mercy to his people. It doesn't mean we will always like the path, but it's a promise that he will always work and he will always work for our good and he will always work for his glory. And so when we gather together in this very moment, there is a sense of expectation that not built upon what we can do for him, but what he has already done for us, he promises to move, to care for his children as a father. And so with all the power that raised Jesus from the dead, he is alive and at work in here. Ben and I were talking this week in preparation for this service, and we just acknowledge something that's in all of our hearts. It's sometimes that when we sing songs, it's as if we're singing and God is not in the room. Not because he's not here, but many times we just act as if we're singing songs to someone who's like over there, someone who's in heaven that we will one day get to. But as we sing and as we gather, do we believe that God is here? We're singing to him, the one who is closer to us than the one who is sitting next to you. He's here. And in Genesis 32, Jacob has an encounter with the living God. And I just want to walk through this story with us as we seek to draw near to God. We are seeking an encounter with him. And so I think there are four things quickly that can just show us as we seek an encounter with the living God, how do we come? How do we come this morning? As we seek his face, and I think it's in this story where we begin to see God at work as he encounters one of his own. The story goes like this. You might know Jacob. Jacob's name means deceiver. He kind of comes onto the scene and gets his fame actually while he's in the womb. And What's in the womb is a wrestle between him and his twin brother Esau, and there begins the story of his life, and it is the story of struggle, the story of wrestling. Jacob later on ended up deceiving his dad, Isaac, and his dad blessed Jacob with the rights of the firstborn, even though Jacob was the secondborn. And there is, in this story, a beginning of a struggle. Because if all of the blessing that was meant to be given to you was now given to your brother, you can imagine what would happen. Jealousy, strife, anger, bitterness. And so Jacob ends up running away. He runs away. He finds himself among his family, Laban, and this extended family member has a daughter named 
Rachel, who Jacob was struck by her beauty. And there was this readiness to marry. And so Laban uses that for his own good and says, hey, you got to work for me for seven years or so, and then you can have her. After seven years, it didn't work out so well. He says, I think you should work a little bit longer. And Jacob is angry and angry finally ends up giving Rachel to Jacob. But for 20 years, Jacob is forced into labor among Laban. But God continued to bless Jacob. Blessed him with all kinds of livestock. And now Jacob, hearing a word from the Lord, he begins to go. God met him and said, you must go to the land of your kinsmen. So Jacob takes everything and he ends up going by night away from Laban. Because he was responding to what God had for him. But now here's the deal. After an encounter with Laban, Jacob finds himself being found by Esau, his brother. And it says in Genesis 32, verse 7, then Jacob, let's go to verse 6, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Last encounter with this brother was a brother who hated him and was ready to kill him. And so now he comes and finds out Esau's coming to him with 400 men alongside. What would that do to your heart? Well, here's what it did to Jacob's, verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so we made a plan to divide the camp so if Esau conquered one camp, the others could get away. But Jacob finds himself really weak and really desperate. Look at verse 9 of chapter 32. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, and O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good, Verse 10, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, O God, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. We see it, don't we? Jacob began to seek after God. And when he came, the first way he came was in weakness, in desperation. He came greatly afraid He came feeling at the end of himself. He diagnosed himself rightly. I am not worthy to receive your steadfast love. A sense of humility. He's honest about his own sinfulness. I am not worthy. But God, I come to you in weakness. 
but I come to you nonetheless. Why? Because of your promises. I come to you because of your promises. You told me that you will do good and I'm going to take you at your word. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I'm terrified. So you see this? The first way he comes is he comes in weakness, in rawness, but he comes taking God at his word. The next way he comes is he comes alone. We find out after Jacob does all this multiplying of his pack, he sends out his own people across this river named Jabbok. Go to verse 22 with me. And after he separated the camp, he is with his people. And the same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok and he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone. He was left alone. And it was in this moment that Jacob fully understood his desperation. He could not lean on his family. He could not lean on his possessions as a means of security. He couldn't lean on anything. He came basically, spiritually, emotionally naked and bare before God. And he was alone, still afraid, but he was alone. And as God calls to us, as we come as a corporate body to call out for God to move, we must also first come to him alone. Confessing our inability to change our own hearts, confessing our unworthiness, confessing our sin, but also Saying, God, all of me, all of me, I want you to have all of me. And so I come, I come alone. It's between you and me, God, right now. I'm going to say that nothing else is my savior. Not my family, not my job, no possessions. I cannot prop myself up on anything else. I come to you alone. And then something remarkable happens. While he is alone, there's no indication right now other than the verses I read previously, which were hours prior to, there's no indication that in this dead of night, he's actually seeking God and look what happens. Verse 24, Jacob was left alone in desperation and a man comes to him, unsolicited, And in one of the most bizarre stories in the Bible, all of a sudden there's a wrestling match. In the middle of the dead of night, a man shows up and tries to do a takedown. What is going on? It says a man wrestling with him until the breaking of day. And 
And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Do you get the irony here? A man intentionally, voluntarily engaging with another man has the power with a touch to knock an entire hip socket out, but chooses with patience all night long to simply wrestle with Jacob in weakness. When he wanted to, he could have crushed him. But he chooses to take on weakness in this wrestling match, not prevailing over Jacob. Isn't it ironic? He has the power to pull out a hip like this, but yet he's wrestling with all of his might all night long. And then verse 26, and then he said, the man said, let me go, for the day is broken. And listen to what Jacob says. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then there's a dialogue. And he said to him, what is your name? They're wrestling and yet having a dialogue. What is your name? And Jacob says, my name is Jacob. It's like this wrestler has everything under control. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. Just kind of following the example that was given to him. But he said, ultimately, do you really need to ask who I am? Why is it that you ask me my name? You know who I am. You know who I am. It is God incarnate. It is God coming down, choosing to put on weakness, to engage into a sinner's life who was alone and unworthy, who chose to wrestle with this man, to see what was deep down in his heart. And when he says, it's time to let go, he wants to hear what Jacob will say. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. You are everything to me. I have to have you. And all of a sudden when he says, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. It's crystal clear at this moment. The blessing is not more cattle the blessing is not greater health. He's not asking for his hip socket to be put back in. He is asking for God. And the reason I know that is the prophets look back at this. And in Hosea chapter 12, they paint a picture of this very scene. And it is a picture of Jacob repenting. 
declaring his need for God's steadfast love. And it's a call for Judah and the people of God to follow Jacob's lead right here. And Jacob's lead is, oh God, I can't let you go. I've come to you in weakness. I've come to you alone. And what's ironic is when I wasn't coming to you, you came to me. And God descends and he wrestles and he chooses himself to put on weakness. It's this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ who chose weakness, who died in our stead, who rose from the dead, that anyone who calls upon him might get a new name. No longer orphan, but child. And Jacob got a new name. No longer deceiver, but one who has wrestled with God and man and prevailed. He's been made new, and the blessing he needed in this moment was the acceptance and favor and kindness and love and gentleness of God himself. He needed God. Friends, we're going to spend some time asking God for specific things in this time here. But may it be crystal clear, our greatest need is not our marriages to be reconciled. It's not for friendships to be brought together. It's not for our financial woes to be relieved. It's not for our bodies to be healed. It is that we connect and wrestle and meet the living God. We need an encounter with God himself. That's the blessing we need. And when we are like the Levites whose only portion was not land, but it was their great God. When we are like them and we say that is enough, then we are in the prime spot to call out and petition him for all kinds of other things that we cannot do ourselves. Jacob wants God. And the story is crystal clear. Come in weakness, come alone, come for God himself. And it didn't come in the exact way that he thought. It came through wrestling, it came through strife, it came through suffering. I want you to know that my little girl, she had some complications with her health uh, last week, a week and a half ago. And it was, at minimum it was filling us with anxiety. There's still some things that we're not really sure what's happening with her body, but it just brought us to a lot of prayer. And while we were having to be, while we were having to rush to Duke a couple times to deal with her, um, some infections in her body and some surgeries that she needed to have, I get a text. I get a text from Travis Williams the Williams who've graciously taken my children, besides Mercy, two boys and had a sleepover. And they were praying for us the next morning. And I got a text and Travis says, as we were praying for you guys this morning, a quote from Keller came to my mind. And it was this quote from Tim Keller that I wanted to give to you. It says this, in the darkness, it's times of suffering, times of difficulty, times when you don't know what's going on, 
in the darkness, we have a choice that is not really there in better times. We can choose to serve God just because he is God. In the darkest moments, we feel we are getting absolutely nothing out of God or out of our relationship to him. But what if? What if then, when it doesn't seem to be paying or benefiting you at all, you continue to obey, you continue to pray to and to seek God, as well as continue to do your duties of love to others? If we do that, we are finally learning to love God for himself and not for his benefits. And when the darkness lifts or lessens, we will find that our dependence on other things besides God for our happiness has shrunk and that we have a new strength and contentment in God himself. We'll find a new fortitude, an unflappability, a poise, and a peace in the face of difficulty. Jacob, in the face of difficulty, was brought face to face with what his need is, and it was for God himself. And so now in this moment, Jacob goes on, and then it says, then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he says, you don't need to ask my name. You know my name. And there, God blessed Jacob. And the reason we know it's God is not only could he push a, a socket out of joint with a touch, not only is this individual wrestling with Jacob, the one who was blessing him, that's something only God does, is now Jacob's own assessment of the situation is verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peneiel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. Ultimately, no one has seen God face to face. This is an image of exactly like Moses. It says he saw him face to face like one sees a friend. It's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of relational closeness. I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been spared. And the sun rose, and he was still limping because of his hip. And he moves forward. The stories we begin to see after this is Jacob continuing to ask great things of God. And this is what we are going to come to do in these moments. We're going to come pleading and pleading with persistence. But as we do so, we're going to start by taking the Lord's Supper together. And as we take the Lord's Supper, this first section of pleading for God is going to be just pleading for more of him. It's going to be confession. Asking God to do a work in here. Every single one of us needs to either confess sin, confess our weakness and unworthiness, or just confess his ability to overcome what we feel helpless and hopeless in the midst of. This Lord's Supper is saying, Christ, you are my everything. I need you. You are enough. And we want to take this time as a time of confession.
If you need some place to meditate when it comes to confession, you can either look at Genesis 32 or you can look at Psalm 32, a passage that begins to paint a beautiful picture of the joy that comes when we confess before God. And after we spend a little bit of time taking the Lord's Supper and spending some personal time of reflection, members of the prayer team will be coming up and then we're gonna have two specific sections of prayer. One will be regarding reconciliation, asking God to bring healing to relationships. And then the second section will be a time of prayer. Prayer for physical healing. If there are physical ailments, we want to pray for you. But also, if that's not you and there's just something that you just feel especially burdened about that has nothing to do with reconciliation of relationships, but you're just burdened, maybe it's a decision or something like that, you can just come and that too will be a time when we can pray. But that time will also be a time when what God has been doing in your life, he might be calling you to reach across an aisle to go to someone and to speak a word of encouragement or just simply pray for someone that's on your heart. I'll guide us through each section of this, but this is where we're gonna spend the next several minutes together. Starting with confession. Confession of what Jacob was confessing. Oh God, I will not let you go until you bless me with more of you. So I wanna pray, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Father in heaven, I love you and I thank you and I just ask that in these moments of prayer that right now you would move in power beyond what we could do. Every single person in here has a different journey, a different need and you are the one true north compass. You are the one true star that says, I will satisfy all of your needs. And so in this moment of the Lord's Supper, I ask, oh God, that you would fill us with a heart of confession. A heart of confession of sin, of our unworthiness or desperation, our fear or anxiety, our tears or our sadness and a confession of your ability and just calling out for you according to your promises. God, I ask that in this Lord's Supper time, you would show us yourself. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.